Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of DEI After Five. So we all know DEI has um, evolved over the years to have added many more letters, right, to the alphabet suit of alphabet soup of what it is. Um, and so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about justice. You know, so for some organizations, they talk about JEDI, right, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, Others add it on to the, the end, right? So it's D-E-I-B or J, you know, at the end. So regardless of where you put it, how you talk about it, justice is a critical part of the work that we do. And so today, my guest is Rachel Lauren. And Rachel has been doing justice work as a part of her organization for several years. And so Rachel, without further ado, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. So Rachel, tell people kind of who you are, what you do in the organization that you work with. That's Absolutely. a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, first and foremost, I am a mother. I'm an adoptive mother of three. Um, and I am a social influencer. So I use social media to not only highlight my work, but um, the things that I advocate for. Um, and I work for Dream.org, which is a nonprofit um, centered on closing prison doors and opening doors of opportunity. And I'm the chief people officer there. Love it. So when I hear opening doors of opportunity, right, that is what basically the equity part of DEI is about. But you all are really taking it a step further. And, you know, just you and I talking before and just understanding justice and what does that mean? Can you explain to people kind of what justice means in this sense? Because I think that there may be some confusion as to what justice is or there's just not an understanding of what it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned equity and, you know, equity is is making sure that everyone has the same entry point. Like we all start off at different places, but justice is acknowledging that there's barriers. And so mm -hmm. it's actually tearing down those barriers, recognizing where they exist. And I like to say that it really um, centers on some of those isms. So racism, mm -hmm. sexism, um, it's finding out where those lie within your organizations or, you know, wherever it is you're trying to incorporate justice into your DEI strategy. Um, and really it's acknowledging oppressed groups and saying, mm -hmm. how can we make sure that the things that we're doing acknowledge what they're going through both inside of our walls, as well as in the community. You know, I appreciate that definition because when I, when I think about equity and, and kind of the work that I do around with the equity equation we look at equity as how do we um, remove barriers or provide support, right, in order to get to a place of equality. So, you know, absolutely what you're saying is like we want to make sure we have that equality, but you have to acknowledge that, that there are some barriers or people need support in order to get there. And so justice, from if I'm understanding you correctly, is really putting a fine tooth comb to what that looks like. Right. Yeah. It's not just acknowledging it, but it's actually 
um, taking a step back and saying, okay, what do we really need to do to make sure that these systems are not hindering people at these intersections of isms, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the organization that I work for, we actually do that. So um, we do policy work. It's a part of mm -hmm. a part of our strategy. So we're actually advocating for the things that need to change on a state and national level, federal level um, to impact all the way down to organizations. People don't realize how systemic, right, some of this stuff is. And so it takes looking at it from even that big of a scale to fix it even internally in organizations because it's a societal issue. So let's let's break that down a little bit because there's so many organizations that are trying to do the right thing, mm -hmm. skirting around doing the right thing, mm -hmm. tiptoeing around <laughs> what they want to do in this space, um, and it really is about identifying the systemic barriers. And so when you're talking about them on this federal and even the state level, what are some of those barriers at that level that impact organizations? Um, so, I mean, when you just look at prisons, right, and the overpopulation of minorities within prisons, and then you think about how that impacts family, how that impacts education, um, it is something that will continue to affect our community. And there's no doubt that that means it's entering into organizations as well. I mentioned that I'm a foster mother. My, my son was born in prison. Mm -hmm. uh, so stepping into his life and trying to give him a, a new chance, right? That he didn't ask, right? For that to be the, the situation that he was in um, was a, a way for me to heal that. But what I recognize is some people that are incarcerated are incarcerated at a level where people that don't look like them, so white individuals, don't have that same issue, right? right. So how do we um, heal some of those things? One example would be the difference between crack and cocaine. We know that um, individuals that tend to use crack happen to be in the in the minority, right? Yeah, and so thing. <laughs> and we are policing those individuals harder and sentencing them to longer terms. And that's then impacting their life and the lives of those people connected to them. So that's like one area. And one thing we're focused on right now is the Equal Act. It's equalizing um, that sentencing. I was about to say, I appreciate that, but I said that earlier because it's just there's so much of what you're saying that is, is, um, is meaningful and it takes this work and I, you know, anyone that has followed the show or, or knows me, you know, I'm constantly saying DEI work is goes above and beyond just HR, right? Mm -hmm. It goes above and beyond just employees and in the workplace. It is, how is it impacting your customers, your clients and the communities that you serve? So when I hear you talk about prison reform, I can automatically hear and see leaders saying, oh, well, that has nothing to do with us, right? Like that's not, that's not our industry. That is not, we're not, that's not our customer base. That's not who we are, are focused on. But there are so many things that take place in the prison system um, that absolutely impact organizations and how they operate. Like the immediate thing that I'm coming, that's coming to mind is, and, you know, we can go into a whole other conversation another day about, you know, this is just modern day slavery, right? That's yeah. one of the amendments 
Um, and so what is being made in these prisons ultimately are products that many of these organizations are using or creating the foundations for um, products that they're using, you know, manufacturing for other things. That's a huge part of this, it right? Is. So how does justice play into that piece of it where organizations aren't seeing the immediate connection, but there's absolutely a dotted line to the work that they're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit it on the head. And, and this is something that I use as strategy when I consult organizations too. It's, well, what is it that your business does, mm-hmm. right? And, and how does that impact the community? And most people don't think to your point, how it might impact the prison system or the education system and how all of these things weave together. But sometimes it's really important to go back to the beginning. What were you founded on? What are you, what are you producing? What are you creating? What are you selling? Right. What are you, what do you say you stand for and how does that impact individuals lives both inside of your organization and externally? Um, And I think if you start there, then you can figure out right kind of your way in. Um, prison reform is one area, but I think people don't realize how many individuals in their organizations might have family members that are impacted. Absolutely. Or, or when we look at policies, right? We look at how we hire and the things that we say individuals have to have in order to enter our organization. And you know, some of that really is people that are system impacted don't have a chance. So mm-hmm. how do we change some of that in our policies to maybe look at what are some individuals we can bring in that have been system impacted? Not everyone's story is the same. You know what? As soon as you said that, it reminded me of a client that I had. I was doing some work and in, in interviewing people. And one of the people that I interviewed said, you know, we have this policy where you cannot have a prison record, mm-hmm. period. Felony, misdemeanor, like nothing. You you have to have a very clean record. Um She's like, but we have a a prison in this area, a huge state prison in this area that has a program that is helping to rehabilitate people or get them back into society. And we're understaffed. Right. And so she in her mind and this is, you know, a regular employee, this was not an executive. She's like, I don't know why we, we won't let go of this policy, because there's so many people that are that want to work that have the talent and skills and probably more talent and skills than some of the people that are working here. Um, But because they made a mistake or, you know, when they were young or whatever it was, they're just left out of the process. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking like that immediately came to my mind because there are so many opportunities that can be created um, or policies that can be changed to help shift some of these programs and these systems that are in place to be exclusionary. Yeah. I mean, and things that you can just be involved in. I sat um, down with the CEO of Indeed recently and did a a fireside chat that was DEI related um, with him. And I mean, if you've never looked up, you know, his background and kind of his beliefs and how he runs Indeed, he's really a phenomenal leader to look at. Um, But he was just talking about how there's so many individuals that have misdemeanors on their records that, $1,500 $1,500 could wipe out and they don't mm. need that or have the resources to do it. And it's the responsibility of organizations that have the money and the knowledge 
to say, let me do something about this. If I'm saying that I don't have a diverse talent pool and you know I wanna look in this community to, to try to hire, but there aren't individuals and I see that maybe there's a high uh, formerly incarcerated rate in this area, like how can I make a, a difference? Right. Indeed is um, working on that. They're actually working with an organization that finds these individuals and they're putting the money up to just help get their records cleared. Right. You know, and I'm like fifteen hundred dollars. That's a pizza party for some organizations, right? Like that's what they spend on beer bongs or whatever in in, in the office for a Friday. Mm-hmm. Like that's very when you when you think about the impact that that could have on so many people. Um, you know, so what? now, you know, as I'm, I'm talking to you and thinking through justice, it truly is not just acknowledging, but it's like, how, how can we fix and not just fix to be saviors? Mm-hmm. Cause that's a whole other, again, <laughs> conversation. Um, but how do we fix so that we create or we shift societies that we're in so that everyone has the opportunity to learn and grow and contribute and, and be successful aspects of this world that we're a part of. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, the justice inside of the organization. So how are we harming, right? Individuals mm-hmm. in our organization. Where is that coming from? Yes. We break that up. <laughs> Let's talk about that because. Yeah. There are a lot of organizations out here causing harm or have leaders that are causing harm and mm-hmm. turn, just turn away, right? Ignore. Or, you know, this person's getting us to the bottom line. So we're going to deal with, mm-hmm. you know, we'll just ignore that part of who they are because yep. we're getting to the bottom line. Um, and that goes into organizational culture and psychological safety and all of those things. But talk to me about kind of what you're seeing when you see that internal justice um, or when you're talking about internal justice, because that's again, another area that I think organizations could do much more in and we're not. Yeah, Um, I think that there is a piece of this that is really just people closing their eyes to the experiences of marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. So it, it starts with actually acknowledging what people have been through historically, what they're still going through now and how that um, affects them as individuals. And so if you can understand that, accept that, then you bring that into your practices internally and say, not only are we acknowledging that and we're making space for that and hopefully trying to solve that in any way that we possibly can, but we want to make sure that we're not that we're not inducing or, or, or adding to that harm in our organization. So what are the things right that are triggers, right. um, things that look exactly like what you might have been through on the outside? We don't want that to happen here. So right. trying to find preventative measures internally to make sure that you're not further harming people. Right. So. Yeah. It's that it's what also is coming to mind is you know, let's say I put forth a grievance. Mm-hmm. Most organizations, and I'm going to just put it out there like that, most organizations operate in compliance mode, mm-hmm. right? They are going to use that information to protect themselves and not necessarily protect the employee that's filed the grievance. And so for me, when I think about justice, it's one, transparency in the process, mm-hmm. two, um, well, kind of A or B <laughs> to that is not just being transparent, but okay, what is happening to this other person? 
because I've gone through something that I need to heal from. And if they're just getting a slap on the wrist, that just adds to the harm for me. And so what does that process look like? Um, and so many organizations are like, well, we can't share that information. But again, so that they're operating out of this compliance mindset and protecting themselves um, versus how do we make sure that we're creating an environment that everyone feels as, as if they are valued? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I might there might be some HR um practitioners that disagree with what I'm about to say, but but I'm in it. I can say it. Um, A lot of HR departments are literally not there for the people. They are there exactly what you said for the organization. And that's where, that's what has to change, right? It's like, and that's supposed to be that shift from human resources to people operations. It's, it should be about the people. And it's, it is providing transparent data. It is having transparent conversations. It is creating space for people to voice how they feel without penalizing them for their feelings. I think, um, you know, we oftentimes, if we don't agree with what someone feels, we then say that it's not valid. And that's, that's not fair. I tell people all the time, intention and perception are two things you cannot argue Mm. with an individual. What you Intended is yours. I can't tell you what your intention is. You know, you can say that that's what your intention was, and I, all I can do is trust it. But you also can't tell me what my perception is, how right. it landed, how I received it. That is true for me. And the impact I, on you, right? And I think um, a lot of human resource departments and and processes and how we navigate complaints um, and you know just different things. It it starts it starts with that. It's actually acknowledging that these are someone's feelings and they are valid, whether you agree or not. And so first, let's heal that part. Then let's look at some of the facts, but also let's not hide it because hiding it is just going to make it happen again. That part, right? Like it's the, we're hiding it. We're pretending it didn't happen. It happens again. And we're acting like it's all brand new. Like we've seen this before. (laughs) Like there's a pattern here. And so the only way to stop this pattern is to public, like, let's acknowledge this mm-hmm. and what is going to be acceptable and not acceptable behavior in these organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that is about that transparency and understanding what an inclusive culture looks like. Um, and so that internal justice is something that I think more organizations can do more of. They're probably probably more willing to do that or I can't even say more willing, they're probably more um, equipped to do internal justice than they are external. But there's absolutely something that can be done internally when you look at these processes and procedures. And, you know, you said it, you know, HR is there to protect the company, right? Mitigate risk and protect the company. Yep. And sometimes the pattern that you're talking about is a person. And that's the part that I think people don't want to admit is we protect the leadership, we protect the top, we protect yeah. right the directors, the VPs, the senior executives. But a lot of times the complaints that you get, they are there's a pattern and it's mm-hmm. back to one person and it, it out of our fear or out of however we've set up our organization that's protecting these powerful individuals, right? Mm-hmm. We, are, we are choosing not to align ourselves to justice because that is what justice is. It's realizing that there's a hierarchy that yep. there are barriers and there are certain individuals that have privilege. Yep. And so how do we fix that part? You know? 
Woo, when you talked about individuals, because I'm like, names came in my head. <laughs> Got some folks that I used to work with that I'm like, protected, very protected. Yeah. And, you know, one instance in particular came up where, and this was a guy that would cuss out the CEO in front of the entire company and just act a daggone fool and we got a new CEO coming in and this same guy said something crazy to me. And I'm saying to the new CEO, I'm like, that's your culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's still here and allowed to act the fool, that's your culture. It doesn't matter what is on the cafeteria wall or what y'all put out and laminate to put it in our cubes. That's the culture. Mm -hmm. And so it's, being brave enough to call those people out mm -hmm. regardless of what the outcome may be. Yep. And the only reason that this person stayed as long as they did is because they were a good salesperson. Mm -hmm. They were making sales. That was it. Other than that, he was a plum fool. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's having the bravery to call out those individuals and hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. And challenge your idea of what empathy is. Because see, that's the mm -hmm. other thing that I've noticed. Yeah. There's There are some people that don't feel like they are making decisions from a bad place, but they have this like misguided empathy. It's like you're empathetic to certain types of people. Like you're not mm -hmm. recognizing that by you doing that, you're harming or supporting harm for other individuals. Mm -hmm. like I've, I've, you know, I've met in, I've met people that let individuals stay way too long, like this runway that you right. had like way too long. They have to go, right? But there's this empathy of like, I don't want to do that. Maybe we can give them another chance. And it's like, yeah, but sometimes you're giving people a chance at the expense of someone else. Yeah. And much of that is, again, goes back to bias. And I don't talk a lot about unconscious bias and all of that, but that's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's um, affinity group bias, or this person reminds me of my daughter, or this person reminds me of my cousin. Like, you're connecting to them in a very familial way, mm -hmm. and that's what extends that runway. Yep. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we, could, we could talk, Rachel, we could talk about this stuff, like, all day, because I think... When we talk about justice and, you know, I started off by saying this, right? So many organizations are afraid to add the J, right? Mm -hmm. Some, you know, J doesn't even matter to them because they don't know how it fits in. Some have it and then they don't even know what to do with it. So I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think it's starting to, or it's, it's a way to explain to people that this is the work, right? This is a big part of what DEI is about. It's not just having different butts and seats, yep. right? Like counting the numbers of people. Mm -hmm. um, yes, we want them to feel included and belong and feel valued, but there's that justice piece is so critical um, in this. And, you know, for me, and this is just my way of, of looking at DEI, justice is built into the equity work that mm -hmm. we do. It is. Yeah. Right. And so, um, but that E is often left out too. Mm -hmm. Cause it's the hard stuff. People want to do the flowery, right? Diversity and inclusion that that's the, let's celebrate. That's the, this feels a little bit better for me. It's not uncomfortable. I don't have to have really tough conversations. It's what people see on the outside. Equity and justice is like, it's the hard work. It's the, you actually have to make a difference. And if you don't, we can tell. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's the dirt in the corner. It's the stuff that you don't want to talk about <laughs> that I'm like, what's that data point? Like, yep. I want to know that one because you're telling me all of these or like, let's disaggregate this data because something here just seems like it's hiding something else. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's absolutely what it is. So Rachel, we're going to do a little bit of a pivot okay? because this work is difficult. This work um, takes a lot of energy. <laughs> Realizing that like, ooh, it's time for a vacation. Mm -hmm. um, what do you do to fill your cup? Like, what do you do to take care of yourself as you're doing this work and being a mom? Yeah. And I want to tell you that like this question is challenging for me. Like I'm, I'm going to be honest and transparent <laughs> that like even answering it now, even though I've thought about it, it's like I realize I have to say this before I give you my answer. I realize as black women specifically, we don't know how to have hobbies like someone mm. before that when we have a hobby, we monetize it. And I never realized, like, I do that. It's like, oh, I really enjoy this. I like it. How can I make money on it instead of enjoying it? So I'm trying <laughs> um, to do that. I've found, um, for me, journaling has become my, like, peace. Um, I try to, on Sundays, it's like my day of rest. It's become my favorite day of the week. And I know people are like, what? That's the, the day before you go back to work. But it really has become my day where I'm like, I'm shutting everything out. I am unapologetically staying in the bed and y'all can miss me for a few hours. <laughs> I am I turning my candles on, like just the older I get, the more I appreciate silence. Mm, yes. um, <laughs> and so that actually has become my thing. That's my, my recharge before I start the week. I love it. And you just kind of hit me like with the whole monetizing thing, because a few years ago, I used to love to crochet, right? That was like, it was something my aunt taught me when I was like seven or eight, you know, and it was just something that was just mindless that I can do and I could be creative. Mm -hmm. And then somebody was like, oh, you should sell those on Etsy. Yeah. And then it became a whole business that I was just like, that started to burn me out. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like this hobby just turned into this whole monetized thing. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And I appreciate the whole silence thing. We moved to the country because child. <laughs> I'm like, I, I need, I need it. I need it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so Rachel, how can people get in contact with you if they wanted to kind of learn more or follow up or follow even the work that you're doing at dream.org? Um, so you can go to dream.org and always follow what we're doing there. Um, my website is theonlyrachel.com. So you can check out anything that I'm working on on my website. Um, on all social platforms, I'm at theonlyrachel on all the ones I'm on. Um, mostly I use Instagram. So I like to suggest people follow me both on Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, that's how you can stay in touch. Wonderful. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, there was just so much that you shared that I think people will walk away um, rethinking how they're looking at justice in their organizations, inside and outside of their organizations, um, because this is absolutely the work. So thank you so much for yeah. joining us. Thank you. And everyone, thank you all for being a part of this conversation this week. You can join us every Tuesday at 5.15 p.m. Eastern, on YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And until next time, have a good one.